from HerbMentor.com, this is HerbMentor Radio. You are listening to Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com. I'm John Gallagher. My guest today is Darcy Williamson. Darcy is an herbalist, author, and educator from the Rocky Mountains in Idaho. Darcy is founder of From the Forest, an herbal products and education business whose mission is to provide education on identifying, sustainable harvesting, formulating, and using medicinal plants found throughout the Rocky Mountains. Darcy is author of Healing Plants of the Rocky Mountains and the Rocky Mountain Wild Foods Cookbook. You can find amazing herbal products, apprenticeships, and more at DarcyFromTheForest.com. Darcy Williamson, welcome to Urmenter Radio. Thank you, John. So great to have you here. I met you at the uh, Northwest Herb Fest a few years back, and and um, it was great meeting you there. And it's great to finally have you here. Um, I love introducing folks to different herbalists and plants from different places that they may not places they may not get to visit, or if maybe the you know, get inspired to visit. So, um, are you from the Rocky Mountains? Uh, yeah. Well, I was born in Culver City, California, but my parents uh-huh. moved me to the Rocky Mountains when I was two. Well, that's, um, that's, yeah, so that's, that's, so you basically you've been uh, there your whole life. <laughs> right. I've been here all my life. All my, uh, everything I remember is here. <laughs> so your parents moved you there. Were your parents herbalists? No, they weren't, but, um, my uh, father worked for Technicolor in North Hollywood, and the uh, <laughs> popular doctor then was uh, Henry Beeler, who was kind of a forerunner in alternative medicine. And mm-hmm. so I had the uh, good fortune of having him as my pediatrician in 1949, and uh, his inspiration inspired my dad to move his children out of the city and into a healthier environment, which turned out to be McCall, Idaho. Wow. So that's quite a a move. I mean, there he is at the job in Hollywood and the glamorous uh, golden age of film, right? Right. (laughs) And, uh, and he just, uh, did he still work for the, in that work? Uh, Did he he, just kind of give it all up? He gave it all up. Uh, My uh, step-grandfather had taken my grandmother on a trip and they, saw this um these cottages for sale along the river so there was a, a resort for sale and um he put down the down payment and told my dad he found this place <laughs> and so we were packed up in the station wagon and moved up here within a couple of weeks that is amazing <laughs> so then did you have then local people that from that area that taught you about uh using the plants no like um, it, so what happened? How'd you get into this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, because um, my parent, my father went to work at the sawmill, and my mother uh, worked the cottages. And I had a brother that was um, just a few months old, and so they were very busy, and I was allowed a lot of freedom um, as I grew up in this environment. And I think. Um, as with a lot of herbalists, I was able to tap into my intuitive knowledge, my instinctive knowledge. And I used to find, oh, fish that the fishermen had thrown on the bank along the river, and I would revive mm-hmm. them with hawthorn, and I'd find... Oh, wait, 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 wait. How'd you do that? Oh, okay. I would, uh, I would <laughs> take the fish and poke a couple of berries down its throat or some some uh, flowers, depending on what season it was, hold it upright in the water, and about um, 30 seconds or so, it would kickstart and swim away. But if I didn't do that, the fish would just die or sink down to the bottom of, of the, the river. How did you figure this out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, I would never cross my mind that I'm there by a fan see some fish that are dying. Let me put some hawthorn in. <laughs> you know? Well, I, I, think, I think that the only answer I can have is instinctive knowledge. And I also uh, used yarrow and willow bark. For, and I had a little vet clinic in the basement of my parents' house and a little cemetery in the backyard. <laughs> 
Actually, it was quite a large cemetery. <laughs> uh, as you experimented with which 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 berry to put down its throat. Gosh, that's so. You were uh, you had a lab and you were experimenting as a kid from a very young age. Right, about five. About five, and and that of course instills your you know, you're you're in this beautiful place. You have wilderness all around you so you're a kid connected to nature growing up it's just what's around you have naturally have a passion for 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 helping living beings and um and then at what point did did you start to be able to uh refine this knowledge like did you have a mentor or their books Uh, mainly books and Mm -hmm. and researching i was always curious about plants and i would research books and um i didn't know any herbalists, and I didn't even know the term for a long time. But um, I um, I left. I got discouraged with the medical system around the age of seventeen. And the last time, How, why? How? Like what? What made you discouraged about? Um, I I lost a child uh, oh. right after birth, and the doctors were so. Um, they wouldn't listen to what I was saying, so they didn't understand what I was going through, so they didn't know that I was sick. They kept telling me I, ha- I was doing something else, which I wasn't, like eating a lot of food. <laughs> and so it, it, uh, I turned, I didn't know where to put my anger, so I just went back to the earth. And I haven't been to a physician since 1970 for anything. And really, so since 1970. Yeah, that was then, the birth of my last child. Wow. Wow. So how many um, children do you have? Uh, two, two living. Wow. Wow. So, and also there weren't really a lot of books then, right? So you really kind of maybe use them more as guides, but you're, you're using your intuition. You're using your, your experience that you've had. Yeah, the intuitive knowledge. And, yeah, a lot of things, um, I remember rubbing arnica flowers on sprained ankles because I would run barefoot along the river and jump from boulder to boulder and miss <laughs> miss quite frequently and twist a leg. And There were uh, arnica flowers and leaves that grew along the bank, and I would rub them on my ankle when I was really... And because they were there, there were the flower that was close there. Yeah, they were so there, they yeah. That, and they had a, so. a, a unique scent unlike some of the other flowers, and they just seemed oily. <laughs> I don't know. That's, That's something else. My shoe sometimes. And and did you find it as time was going on and you started seeing more and more herbal books with information in it, you were like, yeah, I figured that one out on my own. There, there were some, yeah, and then there were other things that, that I'd used herbs for that I didn't find any documented knowledge of it. But it still had worked. Um, no, you know, being in Idaho, you have, I mean, it's, there, there's, there's a, a culture, Native American culture, there's pioneer, you know, like uh, history. Did you were able to tap into any, any locals at all, whether from Native American or local community or elders that, that helped with any information that inspired you? Unfortunately not. I did have a neighbor that, had introduced me as a young child to uh, huckleberries, thimbleberries. Mm-hmm. So I, I got interested in grazing at a very early age. He also showed me um, morel mushrooms, and that might have. I think that probably sparked the greater interest of well, if this is good for something to eat, what are these other things good for? Right, because you have this, and you realize at some point that gosh, I have a giant pharmacy. Around yeah, me. I did a lot of nibbling. <laughs> Hmm. But you later did research on all that, right? Because yeah. you even wrote a book on Native American um, uses of plants. Yeah. So um, I've done a lot of research as I um, got older. And of course, now the internet's a wonderful font of knowledge because of all the other herbalists that are working with backyard plants. So mm-hmm. It finally linked me to a community because I was pretty much isolated as an herbalist here in central Idaho. Did did you see um like where people at what point did people start seeking your help? Um well they didn't actually. Um when in the 
late 70s when I learned that the FDA was starting to look at herbal medicine as something that they want control. Um, right. I kind of uh, became concerned because it's always been the common man's um, medicine. And so I thought I should start teaching people what's in our own backyard so that if um, mm-hmm. they took the herbal medicine off the shelves and and later standardized them or whatever they were planning on doing with them, put them, put them in with the AMA, that mm-hmm. the thing they couldn't take from the public was the knowledge. And I've always been a very shy person, um, so it was a, a leap for me to start reaching out and saying, I have some knowledge of things that might be helpful to you. And I started doing forays and classes. Okay, so it began, the outreach began with classes, and then maybe some of those students were like, hey, uh, Darcy, I uh, have this, uh, my, my friend has this so, you know, right. situation. Right, and, and, and did you find yourself uh, you know, drawn to that, enjoying that, or was that kind of a challenging time, and you're like, oh boy, I don't know if I should be, you know, sharing this with people. Yeah, it or, was a challenge, uh, and it, it remained so. Um, I'm more of a plant person than a people person. And so Mm -hmm. um, some plants are sensitive and it's like, is this person's condition serious enough for me to share this plant with them (laughs) type of, of thing. Right. Right. Wow. Um, okay. So, you know, reason why I've been wanting to have you on here, uh, for a while is because I find that from having your books and all and um your story that you really like exemplify that like herbalist of place you know like you 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 landed somewhere (laughs) it's like you were a dandelion seed floating in the wind and you landed in idaho (laughs) and you grew there and you got to know all the plants that that grew around you um ones that weren't natives ones that were natives and you and you learn to uh, bring these into your life and in, in as many ways as you um, possibly could. And so when you go about learning like local, the local herbs as you were learning after your, like, did you just, just start using them for things Did you, did you make a tea or try eating them? Like how did you, how'd you go about that? I would always, discovering I would always uh, try them first. In fact, mm-hmm. even now, um, any large batches of tincture or herbs that I'm not real familiar with, um, I take um, a larger dosage than I'd ever recommend to someone mm-hmm. to um, mm-hmm. see what type of reaction I may have. But um, yeah, I I would make um, formulations and, and tinctures and teas and sample things raw. And, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. I bit into the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> is is that how you learn the, the, the uh, more dangerous plants? Or do you find that they just kind of tell you that they're a little bit dangerous? Oh, they don't tell me anything. <laughs> well, Not you know, I like them. their looks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's a that's actually something a lot of people learning uh, want, uh, that crossing that boundary from, I mean, uh, what am I trying to say? Like, when someone's new and learning and they want to then start picking what's around them, of course, a very early concern is, is this safe? And so what do you tell your students? Well, I teach them what I know that is harmful. And when I was about eight years old, um, a mycologist came, Dr. Alexander Smith, and stayed in one of my parents' mm-hmm. cottages to study the mushrooms in our region. And he would describe mushrooms to me because I was always in, in the forest and I would take him to where I'd seen what he described or something similar to him or to what he had described. Or I would take him into patches of mushrooms that I'd seen a large variety. And uh, he taught me probably the best thing about um, edible versus poisonous. And he said that in the Rocky Mountain areas, there's only about 3% of all the mushrooms that are poisonous that would do me serious harm, and I should learn those mushrooms instead of all the hundreds of the other mushrooms that are not harmful. It doesn't mean all those other mushrooms were edible or palatable, but as long as I knew 
the three percent that were dangerous, I could go and sample all the others and make up my own mind. Ah, and so that's what I teach really my students. I use that uh, protocol. So what you mm-hmm. you learn is you don't worry about all the the plants. You learn the percentage or the plants in the in your own backyard or your area that are toxic, and you stay away from those. And then you can nibble and and taste anything else with uh, without worrying about ending up in the emergency room. Right. Yeah, so then that's quite simple because, I mean, I can think of just a handful of plants in my general bioregion that would harm me if I had some quantities of it. And next to the hundreds and hundreds of plants that there are around here, it's just a handful. Right. <laughs> and you learn those. So that's very good advice. So that should, that should I'm sure that's going to be quite a relief for uh, folks who are wanting to go out and start harvesting around them. Um, speaking of harvest, harvesting. You consider yourself more of a sustainable harvester of herbs, you've said, versus a wildcrafter. Is that correct? Right. Right. Yeah. So you, can you talk about this? Um, yeah. Wildcrafting is basically people that go out and they, they're paid by the pound. Um, some of the dangers that have happened through that is uh, harvesting, say, horsetail, which, which pulls up nitrates and other uh, toxins from the soil, and they grow lush and green and abundant in areas that are toxic because they're doing their job. They're right. cleaning up the soil. And a wild crafter is likely to pick from those areas because they're getting paid by the pound. It's not that they realize they're toxic because a lot of wild crafters don't really know the constituents and the um, diversity and the things that the plant actually does. Mm-hmm. So um, they can also go into an area and rather than take one out of 15 or one out of 20 plants, they'll take everything they see within the area, especially if they have bought, uh, purchased the permit to do so. Then they, you know, they have a capital investment to start with. So the, um, I don't see a lot of wild crafters that sustainably harvest. Right. I'm sure there are those that do, but um, the majority that I know of aren't. <laughs> because they're they're not necessarily thinking they'll come back to that same place. Right. They're just going and right. they're going to pick it and move on. and They'll move on and find another place where if you're making medicine from the plants and using it, then you become more aware of its environment and you're circulate you're circling back and you're you're going into the same regions and you can see your impact mm-hmm. and um, you become very attached to the plants that heal you or heal your friends and family and you become protective you um when you teach when you're teaching students your students um like what now that was a lot right there, but is there any other kind of tips or things you tell them um, in learning how to sustainably harvest? Right, there are certain things uh, like Brown's peony root um, that I've planted a seed here, and it's taken mm-hmm. eight years, and maybe the roots three or four inches long. The above ground plant isn't uh, really large yet, and it bloomed mm-hmm. last year, so. That's a plant that grows very, very slowly. And so when we harvest from colonies of brown peony, we'll take one plant out of every 15, and then we never go back to that area to harvest. We always have to find new new patches because it would take a lifetime for that um, patch to recover sufficiently if we harvested there regularly. Right, so it sounds then like knowing, really researching and knowing the plant you're picking first right. versus something like dandelion flowers in a field, which doesn't really yeah. matter, right? Yeah, those are people-friendly <laughs> plants. You can pick those with wild abandonment because they're going to still follow you around no matter what you do to them. Exactly. And then there's- so there's kind of like a couple of areas you focus on. You got one is the sustainability factor and two is the safety factor. I mean, when I say safety, you wouldn't want to pick a dandelion in an area where someone was spraying. Correct. Correct. Or something like that. And then then there's the the third consideration. Uh, I just took one of the products we make off the market, which is Indian pipe tincture. 
and not because wow. we as herbalists have over-harvested it, but in the areas where we have harvested before, um, they, they've been disappearing. Mm-hmm. And I, Idaho is a free-range free state, and there's a lot of cattle. And 15, 20 years ago in these areas, the cattle would tromp down um, the Indian pipe and the other sporophytes and, and the little uh, orchids that grew in these old-growth areas along streams. Mm-hmm. And the next season, they, the plants would be back, but all of a sudden, they didn't regenerate. And I, I suspect it's because of the... Um, antibiotics and things in the urine and the feces of the cattle um, because the mycelium that these plants feed on is so sensitive to environmental changes. And so I'm seeing um, large colonies of these disappear and then from an herbalist standpoint and being a plant person over a people person, um, I've chosen to not harvest that particular plant any longer. Right. Wow. Okay. That's, that's really, that's, that's a, I mean, I, I sorry, I'm a little stumped here because I just, I guess I get sad when I hear stories <laughs> like that, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh man, yeah, <laughs> it's just man. Like the grief, the grief comes up, you know, it's like, that sucks. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know? but that's also something that a backyard herbalist knows, you know, when you're harvesting in your mm-hmm. own area and you're only using the plants within, like, with uh, from the forest, our region is within a sixty mile radius, and so you you notice things like this. You're, you're observant. Um, you can't help but be when you're out there uh, so much of the time with the plants. You can't help but mm-hmm. notice when an area is stressed, and you and you can't help but wonder why. Hmm. So then, um, I think what. I would like to talk about now is like you said, you were under a snow there still, right? Right. So it's February, a lot of snow. Um, And can you can access, let's see, like willow and fir. So right now in winter, maybe there's some things people may not realize that they could, uh, you know, go out and harvest now and use. So I was wondering how you would, uh, if you could talk about maybe willow and grand fir, a couple of Rocky Mountain trees and, and is this the time of year you would go out and harvest? Yes, the, the cottonwood buds are perfect right now. The willow, uh, since we're having a warming trend now, uh, the sap is rising, so we go out and bite the willows. Uh, we're looking for a, a taste like you bit the back end of a skunk. That means the salicide is at its highest level. And so we rate each willow, that, each willow patch, we rate from a 1 to to 10, and we harvest nothing below an 8. So we're harvesting the willow now. Um, we're also harvesting the choke cherry, and that's when you go out and you bite um, the choke cherry, and it's sometimes hard to d- differentiate between that and service berry except for the taste in the bark. And the bark tastes like you bit into a bitter almond. So we learn- you know, I have never heard doing this before. So biting, the like, is it like a branch? You just yeah, you a bite a, a, a piece of the branch. You bite a piece of the bark and taste it and judge it. And can you talk about willow and, and then choke cherry and like what you put them in or what you use them for? Uh, willow bark, uh, basically, we use it for the pain killing, you know, for headaches. Uh, it's great for sciatica. Um, mm-hmm. any kind of achy joints, uh, flu-like symptoms. It's also a bitter, so it's a good digestive aid. Uh, the choke cherry has a, a constituent that actualize, actually tranqu- tranquilizes the trachea. Uh, that's, the, that's in the bitter almond flavor. That uh, means you have the strong constituents in there that does that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mostly we use the choke cherry in cough syrups and cough formulas and uh, recommend it after uh, somebody has had a productive cough and now they're in the dry cough stage. Um, mm-hmm. The choke cherry will stop that dry cough. Wow. And, you're, uh, and you make tinctures or syrups? Or? Uh, we, we tincture it 
And then we add the tincture to a honey or sugar base to make the syrup. Uh-huh. That's great. Um, the, the, the biting of the branch thing, what did you come up? Uh, is that just a, is this just some, I just, this is a kind of a new thing for me. So did you just kind of start doing that at some point? Yes. Well, I, I read a book, uh, I think it's a, a scientific validation of medicinal plants. I believe that's the title. Mm-hmm. And it gave Willow such a low rating. And um, I kind of started doing a little research on that. And because Willow Bark, again, was wild harvested, I figured um, that um, the wild harvesters would not be testing for the, the strength of the bark because the bark, you know, I started going around and biting different uh, batches of, of willow to, to kind of test it for that skunkiness because I knew mm-hmm. um, in this, in January or February, early March, you go outside one day and the whole um, air would smell skunky even though the skunk, skunks are still under the ground, and it was willow. <laughs> and then that I knew, knew that the strongest part of, of the season, the strongest part of the willow is when the sap's rising, when the thalicides uh, right. are the strongest in the bark. And so I would start biting the trees, and I would find that even on the same hillside, you had 10 different willows. Each one would have a slightly different... Of flavor, so I started teaching the apprentices that uh, in order to get the best um, tincture, you had to get closest to that skunk taste, and that's, they get a kick out of that. <laughs> well, you know, it just really gets you to learn the individual trees too, like in an area, and not just see them for just you know, just random trees that they're individuals in the community. Right, individuals. It, another plant that is so distinctive is the western mugwort. You can go in, into uh, an area where there's a whole bunch of western mugwort and you uh, rub the different leaves from the different um, patches, same genus, same species, but some of them have more of a um, menthol scent, uh, some are oilier and have a, a more essential oil scent. Some are pretty bland. Some have intermingled with sagebrush and have a rank scent. <laughs> and it's all within the same genus and species and all within 20 yards of one another. So you're not just going through and picking all you know, various Western mugwort. You're really taking your time and sensing every one of them that you're picking. That's right. Every, every patch, every plant. And if we're looking for um, certain, if we're looking for something for a smoke mixture, we want a certain scent. If we're looking for something uh, that you're going to ingest, we want a, a milder plant. So we go around and, and harvest um, what what we need to harvest from the same colony, but with a, a certain target of how that plant's going to be used, so that we get the ones that have the right. Uh, constitu- balance of constituents. Okay. All right. So when you are harvesting, like, let's say, go back to like willow or choke cherry, um, are you most of the time just you, you selectively taking certain branches from the tree? So, you know, that or, or ones that have recently fallen, or how are you doing, you know, harvesting sustainably? Well, we like to harvest the tree. Um, in after the snow is broken branches, it's good to go out and recycle, mm-hmm. but that's not always optimal. Mm-hmm. So what we do is every time we approach a tree, we imagine it as our favorite apple tree or cherry tree, or if you're partial to peach, <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. tree, you imagine that is your tree in your yard and you prune it as you would your favorite fruit tree. So you look for branches where the snow might fall too heavily and split it. And so then you, you take that, that branch that would be split from it and, and you prune it gently. And you only take a couple of branches or tips from each, each tree that you visit. And you're probably finding that the trees that you harvest from are probably the healthiest ones. In the area, they are. They're they're very uh, robust. Yes. <laughs> so you're able to get 
this medicine from the tree and even then and give back by by making the tree healthier. Right. Yeah. That's incredible. That's that's that the is. perfect balance of being symbi- symbiotic with with the plants. So I guess then another level of wildcrafting, not just knowing the plant, but just knowing how it grows or maybe being mindful about what you think you can do to make the plant community thrive more. Right. right. Yeah. That We do that when we harvest warrior plants. Those, those are the plants um, like hmm. the um, formation dissectum and early fulcrumate and osha. It's more um, thinning the smaller ones away from the larger to make stronger colonies rather than going and taking the largest plant and the most robust. And so you're thinning. So if you're a, in a Lomatium community, you're, you're looking for smaller ones to dig. Right. Up. The ones, not mm. the most robust ones or the ones that are mm-hmm. crowded together. Mm-hmm. Now, what have you noticed about that? Uh, say it's a, balsam root or lamation community Oregon grape or whatever like that what you've done that work and how the overall plant communities are doing better like are they looking healthier and well it's it's difficult to tell they do look they do look healthier the larger ones continue to grow large um Mm -hmm. but a lamation root isn't even harvestable until five to seven years after seed germination so again Mm -hmm. we're we harvest, uh, we were fortunate to have um, some cattle ranchers that have private property that the cows don't care for the lomation and they're more than happy to have us come and, and dig it up. In other areas where um, it's in the wild, we're, we're extremely cautious about, we, we harvest from the edge of the banks where they're going to slough off because they like to grow mm-hmm. on hillsides. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we love to take drives after a big rainstorm and, and look for mudslides where we can just pick the roots off the, the mm-hmm. road. But um, in areas where we've we've been, the plants that thrive seem to be putting on bigger seed heads, and and they're they're definitely larger and more robust. But it takes five to seven years to even see that difference. Yeah, how do you know if it's the five to seven year mark? You just know it from because you've seen it once, and you just look for plants that have similar characteristics. I mean, or you're you just like keeping an eye on certain individuals over time, or yeah, we keep an eye on cer- certain individuals. We we uh, often uh, revisit harvest areas, not to harvest, but to observe. Really, wow! And you do this with like apprentices, mm-hmm. or and. Like, how do you keep track of all that's a lot of plants? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a, a harvesting uh, cycle. <laughs> uh, certain areas that we we go back and visit regularly, mm-hmm. but not okay. necessarily to harvest. Right. We might right. be Just harvesting skullcap flowers, but it's in the same region that we earlier in the spring had harvested lomatium. Mm, and, so you can kind of go back and check up on how right, it's doing. Right, and, and, and as I said, we, we never harvest a second time in colonies of Brown's peony. That's a once-in-a-lifetime um, once harvest, basically. Yeah, tell us more about that, the peony. What, what, would, what would people use a peony for? It's a, a Brown's peony. It's a, a smooth muscle relaxant, so it, mm-hmm. it's good for... Um, um, cramping, menstrual cramping. It's also can be used for, um, uh, say, if you have um, angina attack, it will relax the um, blood vessels going into the heart that are constricting. It will relax that. It's also uh, great for neuralgia pain um, as an oil rubbed, say, a diabetic rubbing the oil on their feet. Uh, it's also good for neuralgia pain taken internally. It's a very underused plant, um, probably because it's not indigenous in a lot of areas. Right, but if but if you're live in an area, you might find that you have plants like this that can be used 
for a lot of other things right. that may not be popular, may not be the ones that are sold at the health food store or whatever, but are nonetheless are ones to get to know. They're the ones in your um, backyard. <laughs> the ones in your backyard. And so, yeah, so peony. That's that's uh, Brown's peony. Um, wow. Okay. So, well, since we were talking about lamation, um, I think a lot, I love lamation. It's a plant, I, one of the earlier plants I got to know because though it doesn't grow in my bioregion in western Washington, uh, it does grow on the eastern side. And it's something, a plant that, you know, I've never actually gone and harvested because I, I, always, I had uh, um, actually the person at the herb conference, like uh, Michael Polarski, he has been interviewed on this show. And anytime I ever went to a conference, he always would be selling, you know, a big chunk of root, which would last me forever. Right. <laughs> and making a tincture. So I never had the need to go out and personally harvest, though I have gone over on the other side of the mountains and observed them and checked them out. So I knew what they looked like because I was so fascinated by it. But could you talk about Lomatium? Because I think it's, a, I think it's, um, uh, you know, outside of a north or western bioregion may not be one that's well known. It's um, it's a very strong antiviral, and that's basically what we use it for um, in uh, antiviral throat spray and as a tincture. Um, it's uh, great straight across the board. It seems to, to um, take care of everything from herpes to, to flu viruses. Mm-hmm. Um, we use it for um, women that have abnormal... Um, pap smears, and I actually have a physician that sends uh, her clients up to me to become students because uh, in the herb business, I don't have any clients or patients. Everybody that comes to the mm-hmm. studio becomes a student, and so um, it's we make use the lomation and oil for that, and it's. Um, I've just seen it do amazing things. It's also a great uh, herb to take when you get shingles and start feeling that first um, symptoms, the first symptoms of mm-hmm. shingles. Uh, Lomation mm-hmm. will greatly reduce the incidence of the shingle attack and the discomfort. So it's um, it's just a, a excellent antiviral. You know, it's funny because I, I, I think I probably knew that from the because I think Steve, the Stephen Buner, or is it, or is it Michael Moore? I think Michael Moore's book has, yeah, the Northwest one. Has, I think maybe that's where I first learned about it. Um, I, 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 I was more introduced to it as a something for coughs, mm-hmm. and which has been very effective. Uh, or when I have a cold, well, of course that makes sense. It's an antiviral, but, um, but yeah, some because it's always worked well to help the cold once you have it. Right, as long and as long as it's an, a viral infection and not bacterial. Right, right, which is why we always kind of keep it in our house and it's used a lot every year. Okay, lomatium. Um, lomatium dissectum. There's about dissectum. 30 different uh, lomations in the Rocky Mountains, but it's the dissectum we use, which is the largest of the lomation species. It didn't really, and it, and it doesn't seem to really get a popular common name so it's uh, we just call it lamation right. for a common name <laughs> awesome wild carrot plant <laughs> we'll make one up that's not good we're not going to use that but we might think of another one the lamation's good because it, it's the king of them all <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so you mentioned uh, balsam root as well and that's one that i I've admired and seen a lot uh, over on the eastern side of my state, but I have not actually used it. It sounds like it's very medicinal balsam root. So what uh, what are your ways that you like to use balsam root? Uh, the arrowleaf balsam root, uh, mm-hmm. we use just as uh, you would use um, echinacea. Mm-hmm. It's a great immune system enhancer. It um, boosts up the white blood cell count. It's great for people that are recovering from chemotherapy um, and other, you know, immune system offenses. Mm -hmm. Uh, But basically, I recommend it. It's uh, it doesn't the 
um, it grows on the western side of the Rockies where um, echinacea grows on the east side. So I call it our 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 side of the Rockies um, echinacea, <laughs> even though it's not the same genus or species, but it seems to do the same. Uh, right. And the thing I love about that plant is I like to um, ask a group of students or apprentices what they would imagine the root of the early balsam would look like, and then um, tell them it's going to take about 45 minutes if they go after the biggest uh, plant that they see for them to get the root. Have you dug a root? <laughs> no, I haven't. It's a challenge. <laughs> and especially because like where you are in those drier places it's drier so it's harder to take up something out of that it, soil it looks like a tree a tree root it's uh, got a thick corrugated bark on the outside and it's very woody mm. and, and stringy on the inside oh, wow and it's, it's and the most di- difficult root that we work with do you um when you say like similar to echinacea, even echinacea's infection fighting mm-hmm. qualities too. Mm-hmm. Wow! So it enhances immune system function. Great for wow, that's great to know. Yeah. Wow. See, I I personally get more excited by by er, by herbs like this. Like I see, you know, it's like oh, this is cool. You know, like learn a new plant, go on an adventure, go and find it, pick it. <laughs> but it's great about you is you can learn about these Rocky Mountain plants, but we'll talk about it later too, but by just apprenticing or going to your place and learn all about them. Um, that's great. Um, you also mentioned the, uh, well, actually going back to the balsam root, um, when you're processing it, just, are you just, you know, is it, is it hard to, to chop up and, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's tincture? Uh, the biggest one, the apprentices, Doug, I have more common sense, was 30 pounds. <laughs> but um, it, it it has a lot of dirt and rocks, and so you have to scrub it. We actually take it to a car wash and hose it off with a high pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Use what you got, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, when we get several of them, we, we uh, load them in the trunk and we haul them off to the car wash. And then, do you like put them in the back of a flatbed and go through the car wash? Or oh no, the kind where you, you wash your own car. <laughs> oh, the one with the big jet. That yeah, you're just going like, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. That's that's what we use to get them washed uh, when we get more than one root. And then you you have to take a hammer and you hammer it because you have to break all that bark off, which is uh, ha- which is the part that contains the resin. And then you have this. Uh, inner, a uh, wood-like, uh, fibrous um, part that you huh. you grab the very end because it comes to pointy ends, and you pull it lengthwise, and it usually takes two of us to to pull it apart, and then you you pull that apart, and then you uh, tincture the whole thing. So it, it's uh, four roots would take three apprentices probably four hours to process <laughs> that way. Wow. And that's making like maybe how much like a gallon jar oh, no. or something that, tincture. That would make probably um, about uh, seven gallons. Oh gosh, four <laughs> roots. Yeah, if they got the big one. So, mm-hmm. so your average person for uh, might only need a small one. <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a medium sized root would do a family probably a year or two. And so even though you said the resin is in that outer part, you're still tincturing that whole thing. Right, right. Wow. You want the full spectrum. Is it a similar type of thing with lomatium? Because I always imagine it's a Lomatium is, is easier to dig, um, and it mm-hmm. has a thin uh, bark on it, just very thin, um, paper uh-huh. thin. And it has a wonderful fragrance. All roots have a great fragrance, but the alomation smells like a lotion, and it weeps where it's nicked, and it, it's soft, and you can slice it with a sharp knife, like mm-hmm. into small um, pieces. So it's much easier to process, except some people have, and I'm one, it has, um, get contact dermatitis from that 
oil that seeps out. Oh, yeah? And I think because I've handled so many for so many years. Is this a similar type of thing as, um, what am I trying to think, the other carrot family one, the big one, the big leaves, <laughs> or big flower, big leaves and flowerets. What is it, cow parsnip? Cow parsnip. Is it a similar type of substance, you think, that's causing the dermatological? I don't know. I think no. it's I think it's different. It's definitely okay. a different um, feel and we had right. um, one of our apprentices was working with it for the first time, and he was slicing it and got it, you know, rubbed his face with uh, with his hands, get it, got his hair out of his face or whatever, and Ugh. his whole face and his eyes almost swelled shut and his whole face swelled up <gasps> from handling. But he was handling a lot of it. He was handling probably 20, 30 pounds of it, slicing Jeez. it up and processing Well. At least he wouldn't get a virus. <laughs> right. <laughs> but he was a mess for about two weeks. Oh, no. Yeah, so, so be careful, folks. Yeah, use gloves. <laughs> use gloves. <laughs> There's good tips, you know, good tips. I, a book I got uh, years ago was um, that kind of had some good wildcrafting tips was um, Gregory Tilford's uh, book that was kind of wildcraft-centered. Um, from Earth to Herbalist, I think, and I liked it. it. Had a little section, like little tips to when you're going wildcrafting certain plants and stuff, and that was helpful. And one of those was if I remember arnica was um, if I was going up and gathering arnica to take the the, the jar uh, and the menstruum with me up in the hills, you know, to gather it because it could all get all uh, you know seeded by the time I took it down, you know, in my bag or right. whatever which I thought was really interesting. And so I actually did that. I took my my stuff with me, and then I made my arnica oil and my tincture and stuff up in, right in the field. Up in, up in the field, yeah. yeah. That was fun. Yeah, that, that would be. Up in uh, North Cascades, <laughs> mountains, alpine areas. So, you know, I, I'm just fascinated by your website because I love that and, – and you got to – everyone, you got to visit this, darcyfromtheforest.com, and look through – Darcy's, all the sections here, syrups, teas, uh, infused oils, and, and um, but I, I like, I'm on the tincture page here, and what's, what's really great is you can just see the creativity of what one can do with plants that grow around them. And if you and, flip, uh, click on the dis, uh, details on the second page, it takes you down to a lot more information on each plant, too. I don't know if you oh, yeah, found that. Oh, yeah, I'm doing that right now. One that kind of caught my eye was baneberry, and that's not one that people usually harvest. Right. Um, and so tell us about baneberry here, because isn't it kind of considered one of your more uh, toxic plants? Uh, the berries are toxic. The berries? Uh-huh. We use the root, and we use uh, we don't use a lot of it, but we use it in our endocrine tonic and our hot sauce mm-hmm. formula. It has a similar effect as black coash, although not uh, not uh, exact, but a similar enough one to be useful for um, hot flashes and, and what I call women who've crossed over the moon, or passed over the moon that are no longer moon women and have certain hormone fluctuations, and uh, it helps with that a lot. But it's uh, rarely taken alone. It's uh, mixed with other herbs. Hmm. I'm seeing like... Go ahead, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I thought you were keeping going. Sorry, I thought I interrupted you there for a second. I'm very sorry. Um, Yeah, like I I just really fascinated. Even uh, Avon's root. You know, Avon's is one. A geum is one of these ones that you kind of see growing on the side of the road with... Uh, a lot of the weedy weedy species and stuff, and um, and then here you are, and you have a tincture of Avon's root. Yeah. I never would have. Could, tell, tell me about Avon's root. I'm just fascinated by this. It's it's the um, Avon's that, that grows in the boggy areas, mm-hmm. and um, you just you basically don't need a shovel most of the time. If it's in a wet area, you can just grab the base. Uh, right down below where the stem connects to the root and pull the whole root up. And Mm -hmm. if you've never tasted one, you're going to be in for a surprise. Uh, It tastes just like cloves. Really? It's, uh, yeah, very spicy. And it 
is one of the best things for diarrhea. Really? Even better than like a blackberry root oh, or something? Oh, much better. Much better. Oh. And it's, uh, we have a lot of, I have a lot of um, students with uh, irritable bowel syndrome that uses it. And it's just, you just clean the root and it's got these long rootlets and you just wrap it around the main root, let it dry. And then that's topped up when you need it as a tea. And usually one cup of that tea will will stop uh, the um chronic diarrhea or, um, that people have when they have irritable bowel syndrome. Hmm. And it's, uh, I don't, I wouldn't travel overseas without a couple of roots in my bag. Just the roots, you don't even take in the tinctures with you, you're just taking the roots Yeah, with I'll you. take the root with me. But it's made into a tincture for convenience sake, although right. I really, uh, when I take it, I take it as a tea. But mind you, I don't take very many herbs because I don't get, I don't get the need for them. <laughs> I'm not. I'm rarely, rarely ill. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, while you're staying healthy by, by using herbs as well, right? I mean, like well, more tonic ones, or I stay healthy by eating a good diet, and mm-hmm. um, I probably there's very few tonic herbs. I do. When I think about it, take triple berry, and I do take horsetail and nettle when I think about it. And when I think about it, I take lion's mane capsules. <laughs> Those are the only ones that I, I take on any kind of regular basis, and by regular, maybe once or twice a month, because I don't think about it enough times. Oh, it's always okay. there, but um, I always feel that, uh, you know, I'm 65, and I feel totally healthy. And well, I don't think I need to take anything until I feel less than healthy. So being an herbalist is a great healthcare routine too. So there's diet, exercise, and being an herbalist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps you out in the fresh air, active, digging stuff, connected to the connected to the earth. Hiking out, yeah, That's- hiking a lot, holding bag back bags of stuff from. You know, long hikes into the woods. Yeah, that keeps you vital. Mm. I get less vital mm. in the winter because I tend to hibernate. But... Like now. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you probably feel a little bit of itchy spring now. It's kind of like, it's coming, it's coming. I don't see it, but it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> or I am. I haven't even seen any snow this year. I'm getting lots of rain on me right now. Anybody, you can probably hear it in the microphone. Anybody listen to this? Is I have a metal roof on the. <laughs> Little, my little tiny office in my backyard. <laughs> kind of a shed I work in. <laughs> it's got a metal roof. <laughs> Not very glamorous, but you know. <laughs> this is an herbal show. <laughs> Actually, I, I like uh, the sound of rain. <laughs> yeah. All right. The snow yeah, kind of creeps up on you. You go to bed at night and you get up in the morning and it's all over the ground. <laughs> Here, oh my God! We'll just come on visit anytime you want. <laughs> lots of wind too. I'm up on a little tiny peninsula in the ocean, so we get lots of wind and lots of rain, uh, but not 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 too much now. Um, so you know, before we, I want to ask some questions about your, you know, what you what you do there at your place with apprenticeships and your stuff and your website and all. But um, I just wanted to the one more plant here that piqued my interest we kind of seem to be talking about a lot of trees too but i was alder and alder is one that's common for a lot of people um at least i think it is i mean i I, lots around me yeah it's a very (laughs) widespread plant yeah it's a very widespread plant so uh you have so many cool things you do with plants and tricks and ways of using what can you tell us about alder uh, well, uh, the green cones are good for allergies, uh, pollen-related allergies, and the tincture of the green cones, we make um, a tincture of them for amoeba infestations. Hmm. And then the uh, bark and catkins have different constituents, and that's an antibiotic for um, mainly bacterial infections. So hmm. if the lomation isn't working, we recommend somebody switch to a bacterial you know, if they're mm-hmm. ill. Um, it's, uh, the, I always teach people that take young kids out into the woods, I teach them the alder because if they one of the kids comes 
back to the group with a half-eaten mushroom. <laughs> they don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. A two-inch strip of, of fresh alder bark will take care of it because it will empty the stomach quite quickly. So it's a good thing to know for poisoning. And then when you dry the bark, it has a different takes on a different constituency, which helps the body digest fats and mm-hmm. um, uh, you know metabolize fats. And it improves the, the nutrient absorption of what you eat. So if people have trouble digesting fats or if they ate um, a half a rack of barbecued pork ribs, they'd probably like to have some uh, <laughs> capsules of dried alder bark afterwards. <laughs> wow. Okay. Is it is that any affinity for helping with my colds or flu or anything like that? Alder? Um, yeah. It, it probably does with um, the antibiotic action. I don't, we don't use it Man. for that. But mm-hmm. a lot of things I've learned from herbs have come from the students. People will contact me and say, boy, I sure got good results for such and such using such and such. And I thought, you use such and such for, use that herb for such and such? Well, that's interesting. <laughs> So I've learned a lot. I know it's. I know alders used a lot uh, medicinally. Was was a was a uh, important medicinal plant in native uh, populations uh, around the Pacific Northwest. I just didn't really look much into it. I just knew that it was. I just wasn't sure. Uh-huh. It was. I figured maybe that had something to do with it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I, on HerbMentor.com, I remember as I, I ask uh, if I'm going to have – before I do one of these podcasts, I, I ask questions. And, I, I, and this was kind of a more last-minute interview we put together here. And so I, I was kind of last-minute and putting it up too. So I did, we did get a question that I see here. And, and um, it's kind of related to, um, uh, to the peony we were talking before is Abby. And um, she, I'll just read the whole thing. That she writes. So it says, Darcy Williamson has a beautiful and interesting website, and she does. One of her products caught my eye since it uh, brought back a vivid childhood memory of taking a rafting trip on the Salmon River. I would like to hear Darcy talk in, in, about her Salmon River Rafter Sore Muscle Liniment. That's a mouthful. Um, I have never seen a living pe- uh, peony and wondered if this plant was easy to find in Idaho. Also, would this beautiful peony grow in a garden like cultivated peonies? Um, a lot of questions here, but also what's the best season uh, for harvesting? So that was the question. Okay, the uh, brown peony um, depends on, it, it will grow in a zone three through six. Mm-hmm. And it likes... Um, Fairly, it, it likes to be dry, but it uh, it doesn't do well in a garden setting. But if it would do well on the per, perimeter of a garden setting in uh, fairly dry soil, it likes um, a lot of um, de- decomposed um, granite. It prefers that, you know, mixed in with rock and soil. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It seeds. You know, it sprouts well from seeds, but again, it will take five to seven years or longer to get any harvestable root. Uh, the best time to harvest it, uh, we do most of our harvesting in March, just as the young green shoots come up. But yeah. if uh, we look, if it looks like we haven't harvested enough to fulfill our season, we will harvest it in the autumn after the plant has died back. And we also harvest the seeds and... Uh, try to establish colonies in like areas. And it's used in, in the uh, soil muscle um, products because it does penetrate and it does relax muscles, uh, tight muscles around the shoulders like um, rafters get, where they get mm-hmm. uh, behind the neck and behind the shoulders. It really helps with those uh, particular muscles and the back, the, the upper back and lower back. Oh, great. Great. I hope that. Yeah, and, and, she was, and it looks like she's in Massachusetts. Oh, Sarah, okay. Like, so that's interesting. So uh, just, you know, so maybe she was looking to grow it. Or maybe she moved and didn't change the <laughs> thing on the website. Who knows? <laughs> so, um, so Idaho, can you talk about your apprenticeships you do and, like, you know, how that all works? 
Uh, is that your main reason, way of reason, main method or way of teaching classes or do you just do like little classes or is it mostly through longer term studies? Oh, uh, it's actually an apprentice program that's on Wednesdays mm-hmm. and I have um, a bunk room for out of area people if they want to come. Like right now in the uh, studio, I have uh, two apprentices that came down from Moscow, Idaho that came yesterday and they'll stay several days and work in the studio. And it's a work and learn program. There's no tuition. Uh, their labor is their tuition. And all the products that you see on the website is a result basically of the apprentice program. The apprentice, the, uh, the, um, everything that's made supports the program. And so the apprentices have uh, certain things that they learn to uh, advance on up to um, a senior apprentice. They have to master all of these different things, and at whatever time it takes for them to do that. Uh, we've had some just graduate that have taken 10 years, some can graduate in eight months to a senior, and then they get a big party. They don't get a certificate. <laughs> And then they they get added responsibility. They're expected to do plant monographs. They're uh, expected to um, hopefully start their own line of products, which I help promote, and I'll help them develop that line of products if they'd like. Or they're all expected to teach, and that's um, everyone that graduates and becomes a senior is expected to become a teacher. So there. Give, give people that move to your town or where you are to be part of this specifically because you are kind of out there. Yeah, so this okay. seems like something. <laughs> That's, yeah, basically, I've I've had them come in as far as Florida. I had somebody come in from Georgia, but they stayed a couple of weeks and worked mm-hmm. and learned. But it really um, is best if you're regional because you're learning backyard plants. Uh, the plants in Georgia and Florida are totally different from what we have here. And the concept is to learn what's at hand, what you can go out and harvest and teach your neighbors, your children, your community to harvest and prepare and use. And so the apprentices from northern Idaho are doing classes up there. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've uh, taught a couple hundred apprentices, and as far as I know, they're all teaching on some level. Wow. Um, doing you know, some form of teaching in a community or uh, have giving classes. Then I have um, a teaching venue at the, uh, my other place at Maven's Haven. It's 60 miles from here on the Salmon River at a lower elevation. And we do um, Equinox Herbalist Gatherings where the apprentices put together their own programs, uh, their own classes, and set their class limit and their price limit, and then they get all the money that comes in for teaching that class. And um, it's kind of a venue for them to practice their skills. And they put. So then, as a business, you make your money from selling the products like off your website. Right. And, right. Yeah. And that, that's, that's, really that's cool. basically a byproduct. Before I uh, had the apprentice program, I had just a handful of products. But the more apprentices come in, the more. We learn the more products, so it's, it continues to grow. And the more brown jars of things you have brewing on right. the top. Yeah, brown jars. <laughs> but also, because there's no labor cost, um, that's passed on to the consumer. So that the price is... Yeah, because these are very reasonably priced tinctures you have here for four ounces. Your four ounces of, of tinctures here like cost the same as a one-ounce tincture <laughs> Yeah. In most places. Yeah, that's, um, so. and I'm hoping more herbalists establish, and that's why I started a Facebook page with it, where we show what we did every Wednesday as kind of to show um, what we do, and hopefully others can can um, pick up on that. And I think there's a lot of, uh, there's excellent herbal schools all over the place that are patterned in different yeah. ways, but this. Well, that's I'm fascinated. Every interview I do, a herbalist like yourself runs a program or whatever. It's it's amazing. There's no two ways people run a program the same. You know? <laughs> yeah, and that's so. good. That's good. 
but I'm fascinated by your model. It's amazing. I mean, for being such a, a, a uh, you know, self-proclaimed, like, quiet, shyer person, you, you've done quite a bit. <laughs> the apprentice program has has been probably the biggest growth I've ever had. I mean, it is it has um, opened up my world. And it, it, well, heck. It's, uh, what, a, what, a, what a great way to bring the world to you. Yeah. Right? It's you know, uh, definitely symbiotic. <laughs> Yeah, that's absolutely. And so, um, your books. You can. Where do you prefer people check out your, the books you have? Because you you have the the two. Well, you have other ones too. But you're like, for example, the the um, Rocky Mountain Herbs book that uh, I'm looking for. Where's 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 he? Ah, lost my exact title. <laughs> I may even own the book. I'm just, you know, when I'm in the middle of these interviews, I'm telling you, I just can't, I can't keep my head straight on everything. Uh, but the uh, Healing Plants of the Rocky Mountains, right. and, and I know it's available on Amazon. Is that where you tell people to go get it, or do you have sell it, or is it on your site? Let's see. Do you know? Pardon? <laughs> All right, there you are. Sorry, I just lost you for a second. Yes, you can. Um, I always recommend folks purchase books and all from herbalists from their own site because they uh they benefit more that way financially um and darcy's book like healing plants from the rocky mountains and i'm looking here you have other um books and things you've put together uh, cd roms of your newsletters you can get all on on darcy from the forest.com and uh and the products as well right so everything is here right so i i I, I really encourage everyone listening to go to DarcyFromTheForest.com because just just you can learn so much how creative you can be in making remedies just clicking through all of the all of the uh, remedies from oils and syrups, tinctures, salves, more that are on this site. Even bulk herbs. So we talked about uh, like lamatium and and arrowroot. Uh, you can. You can purchase you can purchase those two here, <laughs> so that's awesome. And find out about the apprentice program, right? Right. Okay. So, anything else you want to mention before we wrap it up? Um, no. I think, did I get it all? I think we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> Great. I mean, we, we sure did. I know it's amazing how quickly the time goes by. I even forgot to look over and I go, "Oh my gosh, I've been." <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking for seventy minutes, and it's felt it's felt like ten. <laughs> so again, you can visit Darcy Williams at at uh, darcyfromtheforest dot com. Darcy Williamson, thank you so much for joining us on Urban Mentor Radio. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Visit learningherbs.com for free courses, ebooks, and monthly lessons. You'll also find the herbal remedy kit and Wildcraft, an herbal adventure game. Herb Mentor Radio is produced for HerbMentor.com, our community mentoring site. Herb Mentor Radio is copyright learningherbs.com, LLC, all rights reserved. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it.